dear Generation Z, I don't say this to be callous, but prom, highly overrated. So I understand the mourning of the loss of prom. Trust me, deeply, deeply overrated. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. You never think that when you're in the middle of it. No, no, you definitely don't. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I am so excited to be joined today by Julie Arbit, Global SVP of Insight at Vice Media. Julie, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are uh, dialing in from the great metropolis uh, of Manhattan. First things first, uh, how are you doing there? This is uh, six and a half weeks of this, so you holding up? I think it's almost eight for me. Uh, we've been working from home since the beginning of March. Okay. Doing well, staying inside, staying healthy. Do you go out ever? Very rarely. Yeah. <laughs> we go out for walks probably once a week at like six in the morning. Wow. Wow. Well, Julie, we had you come on because I'm really interested in a report you guys just published called Youth in Pandemic. And I want to jump into that in some detail. But before we do, can you tell us just a little bit about your role and a little bit of your story at Vice? Sure. I've been at Vice for seven and a half years now. Oh, wow. (laughs) Seems like yesterday, but also like I've been here forever. Mm. I run the information desk at Vice Media Group, which is the insights team. Yep. The information desk, kind of the name plays off the idea of editorial desks we have advice. And it's also kind of a nod to the fact that we look at data under the influence of creativity versus the other way around. Mm. Um, and my team works across all lines of business. So we help both vice and our client partners kind of understand and engage with young audiences. And I would say that we focus mostly on primary research and proprietary inputs. Right, so we've got research communities like Vice Voices on the Vice side, Matt Chatter on the refinery side that we tap into all the time. And we also talk to our content creators around the globe and just look at content analytics and how our audiences are engaging with content. So your team, in effect, to some extent, is the keeper of the flame of the pulse of your audience a little bit. Is that a fair statement? In some ways, yeah. I mean, we work with a lot of other teams, you know, in addition to the editorial teams and, you know, the content analytic teams. We're constantly talking to our audience and understanding sort of what they're interested in and how they're feeling and feeding that back into the company itself. And how do you frame your audience? So just for the listeners, so they can understand what the core Vice Media audience looks like and those either, you know, generational or attitudinal cuts. What are the sort of baseline level that you look at there? Yeah, I mean, we think of our audience as sort of like a young mindset. So we actually now span multiple generations. So, you know, we obviously have the, you know, Gen X and millennials, but we also have a really good cohort of Gen Z. Mm. So we're continuing to kind of age down with new generations of young people. What was the motivation and kind of the inspiration? I mean, obviously we're in this unprecedented time, but what made you sort of make the decision to say, we've got to go out and look at what's happening among youth in this unprecedented crisis? (laughs) Yes. I mean, because we are in unprecedented times, (laughs) you know, we needed to make sure that we continued to kind of stay by our audience's side and guide them just as we do through everything else. But because these times are really different, we needed to understand what our audience was thinking and feeling so we could best help them now. This study was really interesting and there's so many interesting findings from it, but it's just the first of many that we have planned just to make sure we're continuing to understand sort of those shifts and changes 
in the behaviors and attitudes of young people as they navigate what's going to be a pretty new world. As you kind of scan what you've done here, what are some of the big highlights that jump out initially? There are a lot of interesting things. First, you know, I want to really dispel this myth that young people are not taking the pandemic seriously. Mm. I think we've seen a lot of media kind of underestimating young people. They get a lot of clicks by showing the spring breakers on the beach, you know, ignoring the social distancing regulations. But what we found in our research is that young people are actually taking this pandemic pretty seriously. So it was 87% told us they're doing everything they can to stop the spread of the coronavirus. And we also see that in other pieces of the data as well. So, you know, we asked them how they're feeling right now and Gen Z compared to other generations are feeling more bored and lonely. And this is really because they're in the prime of their social lives. And because of the pandemic, their social lives have been ripped out from under them. Yeah, they're right? essentially grounded. Yeah. yeah. And some of those rites of passage, like prom and graduation, yep. they're not going to get a have. Yeah. So, I mean, I think they have this longing to be able to have those experiences and they want to be with their friends, but they also know it's really the best thing right now to kind of stay home. Yeah. And I think generally, I mean, this generation is having a lot of mixed emotions. So... You know, we're seeing a lot of of uncertainty and anxiety and stress right now. And that's not to be too surprising with this generation. There's always been a lot of uncertainty about the future when you're young, but I think that's really amplified right now. They're not only uncertain about their future, um, but they're uncertain about the world's future. Yeah. I guess what's really interesting about that to me is not just these like heightened levels of uncertainty, but on the flip side of that as well, right? We're seeing sort of, equal feelings of empathy and gratitude. They're hearing other people's stories through this and that's kind of really shifting their perspective. And I think for us advice, who's been, you know, looking a lot at values lately and, you know, we saw in some studies we did last year that, you know, while these generations, millennials and Gen Z have some common values like compassion and respect, we also were seeing a divergence. So we saw, you know, Gen Z have more values of justice and millennials have more values of perseverance. But what we're seeing today with empathy being so high, we're now seeing like stronger, more shared human values across all the generations. You talked about anxiety and I, and I, I do want to jump into this a little bit because we had a undercovered, in my opinion, crisis amongst young people as it relates to anxiety prior to any of this. And, you know, if, if you talk to institutions of higher learning and colleges and universities, what they'll tell you is the number one issue they face on campus is the burgeoning explosion of anxiety manifest both in male and female populations. The female population numbers are, are truly terrifying, but it's both populations. And they are, you know, to a school trying to figure out what do we do about this? Lots of it driven by feelings of isolation and the way social media impacts their lives, blah, 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 blah. So, we enter into this crisis with a real acute situation as it relates to deep anxiety in the population to begin with. And now we layer on really this existential crisis in a lot of ways. And I I don't simply mean that it has a life and death element to it. It clearly does. But, you know, these questions of what it means for the future and what it means for my family and what it means that I'm going to be allowed to do with how I choose to live my life, these are massive things. Talk to me a little bit about how those showed up in this and what we think the broader implications of those things. I mean, I think there are a lot of things that young people are anxious about right now. And currently, I mean, the number one thing we saw in our data was that they're anxious about sort of someone they know getting the virus, right? Friends or family. And next actually it was sort of the economic impact. 
almost more so than they worry about getting the virus themselves. Um, and I think this is sort of most acute for millennials, right? They're in the prime of their careers. So they're, they're sort of the ones that are most concerned about this economic impact, especially their own finances, their job security. And then for Gen Z, as we kind of just talked about, you know, they're in the prime of their social lives. They're worried about missing prom. And so, you know, they're a little bit more worried about their relationships and their mental health. And I know Gen X is a smaller cohort, but was there anything unique about their perspective on feelings of anxiety? You know, what's interesting about Gen X is that a lot of them have kind of been through some of this before, yeah. not the pandemic, but sort of this economic, you yeah. know, crises and they made it through. And so I think in some respects, they're not quite as concerned about it. You're talking about a generation that is is now essentially 50 you know, late 40s, very, very early 50s. Again, we're a narrow generation uh, by comparison. And I think that's right, right? Like you've been around the block a couple of times. And again, you've never seen this 100-year event, but you've seen this other stuff. You know, you graduated college into, you know, one of the worst job markets at that time in the early 90s. And, but I do think there's this sense of, and I'm not, this is not an okay boomer thing. I don't mean it that way. But like this retirement idealization of, in a golf cart, on a golf course, you know, on a yacht, you know, in a canoe, looking at your grandchildren rolling across a lake. All this stuff that comes from Schwab and Merrill Lynch, and what, that is all deeply aspirational, I think, to a lot of folks in that generation. I just think they look at it and they're like, that, that's not how this is going to play out. And I think this yeah. feels like the final blow to any sort of more idealized retirement. It just isn't, that's just not the way this is going to work. So how are these younger generations spending their time while in lockdown? I mean, they are spending a lot of time sort of connecting and reconnecting with people. They're participating in tons of virtual hangouts. They're going to virtual dance parties. They're downloading new dating apps. And, you know, many of them are actually reaching out to people they haven't spoken to in a long time. So a third of us told them that they've, you know, reached out to someone they haven't spoken to in a while. I mean, just the other day I got a text message from someone I haven't spoken to in, you know, 15 years. So I think it's a kind of a time to, to think about the people in your life that you care about or you, know, you haven't thought about in a long time and you want to bring those relationships back. Yep. I think they're also investing and in connecting with themselves. Mm. So, you know, we see a lot of sort of starting of new self-care routines they're learning new skills. Many of them are concentrating on their mental health and downloading these meditation apps. And we're also seeing a bit of like a creative renaissance. So people are really getting back to their hobbies and their passions, maybe some that they didn't have time to do before now. They're doing home improvement projects. They're experimenting in the kitchen, <laughs> some out of the sheer love of it and some out of necessity. Yep. But they're making all sort of like fun TikTok videos, you know, you name it. I think creative outlets are key right now. A lot of baking. A lot of baking. Having a lot of trouble finding flour right now. Let's talk about sort of this creativity piece, because this is one of the things that, that fascinates me, particularly in the industry that we occupy, you know, in and around advertising and media. And, you know, they are deeply creative industries. And so I'm, I'm wondering how people are maintaining and advancing their sort of creative skill. Was there anything in here that, that sort of gave you a bit of insight about you know, how important that is in a time like this is, is focusing on that expression of creativity. You know, because we're all sort of locked at home and we don't get to really express ourselves in other ways. And I think the kind of creativity is 
one of the ways that we can kind of express who we are and kind of show our personalities yeah. and kind of get in touch with ourselves and even connect with other people in ways that we're just not, not able to. What's kind of keeping them going emotionally? Is there a, some kind of touchstone that's kind of, you know, they're returning to that's sort of like, all right, this is going to be all right. You know, this is driving me forward. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is sort of the connection with family and friends, right? That's really keeping them grounded right now. And I think the other thing is entertainment, right? And this is also one of the new habits that we're seeing form while they're, they're staying at home, right? There's tons of entertainment content consumption, especially among Gen Z. We saw a couple of different indications that entertainment is really the thing that's kind of keeping them grounded. You know, one is we ask them kind of what things they're looking for in their social feeds and humor is kind of the number one thing they're looking mm. for there. We also asked them what they wanted to see from us specifically. And it's this equal mix of coronavirus related content and non-coronavirus related content, <laughs> right? And the non-coronavirus related content are, you know, things that make them laugh, that help them escape we can't really be afraid to have fun right now, right? Entertainment and humor are really essential ways to cope with the intensity of the world. And, you know, we're seeing that kind of in spades, especially with the younger generations, right? They're doing not just watching more content, but they're doing more gaming. Yep. Anything that kind of entertain them. And making more content. Yes, definitely making more content as well, correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that just with my unscientific survey of my, of my own two kids, my son, who had to obviously return early from college, and it was his freshman year and whatnot, and he's gone through, you know, the seven stages of grief about the whole thing. And I think attempting to maintain a perspective on how fortunate he is, but in the end, you know, he does his schoolwork, he, you know, talks to his buds on Zoom, and then there's seven hours of afternoon left, and, you know, it's him doing trick shots with a golf ball or a soccer ball in the backyard. And, you know, I hear these random sounds of things crashing. It's basically, he's an 11 year old at this point. And I think there's an awful lot of that happening around the world in those populations. I think the other thing too, that's helpful to think about kind of what keeps them grounded is, you know, even when they're thinking about the coronavirus related information, it's not so much the news anymore. It's not like the numbers and the figures. And I think, at first, everyone was really engaged with that, but yep. now I think that's just, it's been waning a little bit. That sort of need to know every three minutes has gone back a little bit more back to normal. And so the information they want related to the coronavirus are more like tips and tricks and advice and guides, like ways to kind of get them through this, yeah. whether that be, you know, how to manage your finances or, you know, what should your new beauty routine be? Yeah. You know, and I've talked about this in the pod, I think two weeks ago, we had a, I had a chat with our chief strategy officer and the unresolved thing here for me is this sense of mourning, right? We have these, this unfathomable number globally and in this country, you know, whatever it is this morning, 63,000 people. And again, probably undercounted. For sure. And nobody on a personal level can mourn in the traditional sense and nobody in a, in a collective sense can mourn. And we have, you know, as Americans, that has been part of our collective bond, right? Whether it's, you know, obvious things like 9-11 or the shootings in the, you know, Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School or, you know, when the previous president stood up and, and sang Amazing Grace after the shooting in the church. 
these are things that have become important to the, to be cliched, the soul of the country. And yet here we are unresolved at a, just such a massive level on this morning. What are the implications of that? Yeah. We're seeing some interesting things just anecdotally, not from the data, how people are trying to connect in these times anyway. I mean, in New York, every day at seven o'clock, people come out, they, you know, bang on pots and pans. Someone around here plays the, what sounds like a tuba. And, you know, they, they thank all the healthcare workers for what they've done. Last night, there was also probably like a 10 or 15 minute sort of national anthem being sung. I think they're trying to come together as much as mm. possible. Um, but I think it's really weighing on people. I think you're seeing more people kind of be emotional. I don't know, I kind of would hope that we would all get a little bit more in touch with our emotions, regardless mm. of stereotypical gender roles or responsibilities, kind of reach out to the people that we can reach out to that we're close to and help us through this. Yeah. One of the things that jumps out of the report, and again, this is not a new thing. We've been talking about decline in trust of institutions for a really long time, and it's accelerated certainly in the past three or four years for Mm -hmm. some obvious reasons in this country. But is how much distrust there is in national government around the world. Like there is a common sense that these governmental infrastructure, the, the governmental institutions are not trustworthy. And you see that borne out in the report. Yeah. As you said, like young people didn't have much trust in the government before this. And this pandemic has done very little to restore that. And the virus is sort of this completely unknown entity, right? No one has any of the answers. And many of our governments have made it clear that they're just as uncertain as the rest of us, which doesn't instill a lot of confidence. So I think people are turning to as many different sources as they can to get the information they need and want and weed out some of that misinformation. But they're going to the people that they think have the most information, right? Those that are dealing personally with this virus every day. So the health organizations like the WHO and then the doctors and the nurses who are on the front lines of it. Yeah. Does it matter that the two largest and most powerful economic forces on the, on the face of the planet, you know, one is a deeply opaque governmental structure that has, you know, probably not been upfront about the impact of this. And the other is, you know, in the most, I don't know, disjointed situation has probably been in its, you know, 200 and some odd year history. So, you know, the entire world kind of looking to these economic superpowers and and both of them really not serving the interests or the desires of people in terms of how to handle this thing. Does that matter? I mean, I hope it matters. (laughs) (laughs) To show a little bit of my political views. Yeah, I hope that people kind of wake up and see, you know, who's running the country and, and do something to, to change that and, and make it sort of more just for everyone. Yeah. I mean, as it turns out, good government matters. Yeah. You know, we all we hear is statements because, again, this is how the world works. But, you know, nothing will ever be the same. And there is cliche in that statement because it's so often said, and yet there's truth in that statement too. And it seemed to be borne out a bit by what you got from the populations in in your research. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, this was one of the most interesting topics to me in our research was kind of what young people predict the future to be. And like you said, they agree, you know, the world's never going to be the same. They primarily think that the way our economy works, the way we socialize, and the way we work are going to be changed forever. 
I mean, this is pretty much to be expected. We see the stock market dropping every day. We see unemployment rates rising. And, you know, we've all been learning to effectively work from home and spending our entire days on video calls. <laughs> so, I mean, I think they can see it around us. But I think for young people, this is like they feel this particularly strongly, right? These changes are really monumental. So, you know, thinking about the economy, many Gen Z are just entering the workforce, right? They're graduating college, they're starting their first jobs. Many millennials are starting families. And these economic changes are going to have impacts for the rest of their lives, Yeah. right? I mean, even when it comes to their social life, it's going to, you know, impact how they make and engage with their friends. It's going to impact how they date, you know, how they even find love and build those relationships. So I think there's definitely going to be some changes. But what I also found really interesting is that while young people agree that this post-COVID world will be very, very different, they're actually completely split as to what that energy of the post-COVID world is going to look like, mm. right? So we found that half of our audience think the future is going to be really positive and half of the audience think that future is going to be really negative. <laughs> so this is proverbial glass half empty or glass half full. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really, like we could really go either way. And I think, you know, the reasons why they feel that way are interesting in and of themselves, right? So the people that feel it's going to be negative, kind of envision this economic collapse, right? Where the small businesses won't be able to rebuild, poor are going to be poor, the rich are going to be richer. And, you know, they kind of believe that we're not learning from any of this and we're just going to go back to the way things are. But those people that believe the future is going to be positive really see this experience as unifying us kind of around the globe. And so they feel there's going to be more connection and more compassion as a global community, mm. as opposed to those who see this as negative, the people who see that we're going to have a positive future think we are going to learn from all this and see and identify some of those systems that might be broken and fix them in the future. Yeah. There's one quote that I just love. One of our respondents said it perfectly. They said COVID-19 is a reset button for humanity. That's a good line. So you got a writer in that population. <laughs> yeah. Some people also write in that they'd like a job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you got some of that. I guess, you know, this reveals me to be, as we've established in this pod, deeply Gen X in my roots. I actually believe both those things are going to be true. Yeah. We will see deep divisions and the impact of those divisions, and those will feel awful and cataclysmic, but we will also see a magical sense of the knitting together of people in ways we haven't seen before. We're going to get both those things, I think. Yeah. I think we have a real opportunity as media and brands to help shape this future. So a better segue you've never provided me in the entire pod. So let's get to it. What advice do you have for brands trying to connect with these younger generations in this moment? I think, you know, we've been talking for a long time about sort of the importance of brands having purpose, but that's, actually been never more important than it is right now. Young people are taking this really seriously. They care deeply about the well-being of those around them and the future of the world overall. But I think right now they're really struggling to kind of, you know, achieve the purpose that they want to have just given their current reality. Um, And I think brands can really step in. They have the power to make a difference, right? So we should be leaning into the causes young people care about. We should be supporting those causes. Now's never been a better time to start demonstrating the purpose that we have. You know, I think also really taking this time to connect with consumers is really important, right? 
we need to be transparent and honest with them. That can really define sort of authenticity going forward, right? We need to be empathetic. We need to connect. We also need to really collaborate with consumers. Like we're all in this together, right? People and brands. And those connections is what's going to get us through this. One of the questions we get a lot from brands, and I'm sure you guys do too, is, you know, should we be advertising during all yeah. this? Should we be communicating? And the answer is yes. I mean, in all the research we've seen and engagement on our channels, I mean, this all just tells us that, you know, seeing brands advertise and communicate with consumers kind of gives people hope. That said, obviously, these communications shouldn't be seen to be like taking advantage of the situation or making light of the situation, but brands should be out there communicating with their consumers. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the many unwritten books that I will not ever do is around this idea that was true prior to this pandemic, right, in my mind. But it is so much more true and more acute now. And it is this idea of the brand institutional opportunity, right? We talked a few minutes ago about the decline in trust. You know, you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer and all these kinds of things in governmental entities, in political figures, and, you know, et cetera, the fundamental fabric of government. But what we haven't necessarily seen is people looking at brands and feeling the exact same way. There's still faith in brands. It's interesting. Now, some individual brands have done some things that have not helped themselves out, and we'll stay away from those at the moment. But, but I think brands continue to underestimate this moment as a catapult, as an opportunity, as a sort of jumping off point to take a more important role in customers' lives because of that institutional trust void. And, you know, when you talk to clients about that, I think intellectually they get it, but they still have sort of the traditional filters of, oh, I don't want to, you know, ah, we're only a brand. There's this sort of sense of holding themselves back. You know, it's almost the human version of, I'm not that good a writer or I don't sing that well. Like they have this kind of self-consciousness to it. And they really need to find a way past that because this is the moment. This is the minute. This is the, the time to, to take advantage in the best way possible of this absence. And I think your point's exactly right, that people are looking for brands to occupy that space, not shrink from it. This has kind of always been true. We've seen this in the past as well, but you know, as much as young people wanna make a difference, they sort of realize that on their own, they can only make so much of a difference. And they do look to bigger entities like brands, right, to help them make that difference. Yeah, they need help and structure to do it. Last question, and then we're going to jump into the lightning round, which is never lightning, but we try. Where do you think we'll be in a month? I think we're not going back to quote-unquote normal, Mm. right? We're sort of creating this new normal right now, and new habits are forming as we all kind of shelter in our homes, as we take the time to reflect on our lives and sort of recalibrate and focus on what we want and value. So I think one of the things that brands really have to be thinking about is how are they helping consumers ensure that what we're seeing today is our future reality, right? And they're not just waiting for things to go back to the way they were because they're not going to. Yep. I also think that in the next month or so, you know, we're going to be thinking about reopening the economy again if some places already haven't reopened the economy. And I think young people are going to be grappling a lot with what to do, right? They're going to be sort of weighing their desire to socialize again with their fear of getting sick themselves or contributing to another wave of the outbreak in their communities. 
because I can't help myself and I love data. I actually took a sneak peek this morning at some data we currently have in field, which actually asked our audience how they feel about returning to social experiences. Oh, and is this, is this breaking news? This is breaking news. I love it. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I am most happy on this pod when we break news. Julie, go for it. The results are really split. So half young people are excited to go back out to enjoy social experiences and the other half are sort of really nervous and hesitant. So I think we'll continue to track this and see where things go over time, but there's a lot of mixed emotions with doing what they kind of emotionally want, but what they also know is kind of right for the health of themselves and others. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, the lightning round. We've obviously been stuck in your case, you know, eight weeks and mine right around seven. What has been your favorite app over the past several weeks? Do you have one? I've been pretty religiously looking at Yumly, uh, Ah. which is a cooking app because it's been my kind of go-to creative outlet during the lockdown. Okay, got it. Yumly. What has been your favorite sort of binge show here? Do you have one that has been your go-to? Honestly, I'm not watching as much TV as I thought I'd be watching. Right. But I was able to finally finish Ozark. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give anything away. I think it's number one. The report I looked at from our Amplify folks last week, I think it was, it had overtaken Tiger King at that point, I believe. With The Office, by the way, third, which just cracks me up. (laughs) Favorite piece of content consumed? All right. Well, I think now it's my turn to talk about kids. Oh, do it. (laughs) My seven-year-old niece started her own YouTube show called Margot Makes. I love it. All right. So go search Margot Makes. Okay. (laughs) Last week, she taught her viewers how to make a love monster, and the video featured some really funny cameos from her younger brothers. That's been my favorite piece of content so far. Can I ask, what is a love monster? It's just a drawing. So her instructions were make a squiggly line down one side and a squiggly line down the other side, connect them with some ears and some feet. Somewhere it must have a heart on it because it's a love monster. Sure. And then you can color it in in any sort of bright colored fashion you would like with some fun backgrounds. They're adorable. It sounds adorable. (laughs) Last one. When this is, well, if not over, but to some less acute moment, what is the thing you are looking forward to the most? I mean, besides just seeing my family and friends again, I really can't wait to get back to the ceramic studio. Ah. Really miss like the whole creative process. Um, as well as just the community in the studio. It's been a big hole over here. Yeah. Yeah. Julie, you are absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. What is the easiest way for people to find youth in pandemic? You can go to the Vice Media Group website, company.vice.com under the thoughts page. Perfect. It's well worth the effort. Definitely take a look at it. It's a really good piece. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes another edition of The Human Element. Thank you so much for finding us and tuning in and listening. We've seen an increase in our listeners and our total listens, and we're just thrilled by it. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Remember, tell a friend, give us a comment, subscribe, give us a like. We really, really appreciate it. And you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please stay safe, and we'll be back out to you real soon. Bye-bye.